everyone, I'm Kate. And I'm Libby. We're the creators of Tales by Mail and this is our brand new podcast. Hello bookworms, a very warm welcome to our On A Quest themed podcast episode. Today we'll be chatting about the books included in our December box. Two fantastic novels about brilliantly brave characters on dangerous and challenging adventures. We'll be joined by the authors of our featured reads and by some of the pupils of Stobra Primary in Dorset who'll share their thoughts about our December books. Plus, if you're looking for more reading recommendations, we'll tell you about some of the books we're excited for in 2022. So let's get started. The first book in our Honor Quest box is... The Chime Seekers by Ross Montgomery. Hello, I'm Ross Montgomery, author of The Chime Seekers. Thank you very much for having me along Tales by Mail. First of all, I'll explain a little bit about the story. The Chime Seekers is about a boy called Yanni, whose baby sister is stolen away by an evil fairy one Halloween and replaced with uh, a changeling, a fairy baby. Yanni's only hope of getting his real sister back is to travel into the evil fairy realm, along with his cousin Amy, and to seek out that fairy and find him and demand his sister back. The fairy realm, we discover, is a sort of sinister, twisted mirror version of our own world. Yanni's village of Fallow Hall becomes the village of Hallow Fall, where everything is very similar, but slightly different, and uh, also very evil and magical. And Yanni eventually finds that the evil fairy is the fairy lord of the manor, a creature called Lord Renwin, who's the most evil and powerful fairy in existence. I'm going to read you a very short extract of uh, the moment that Yanni discovers the dark tower of Lord Renwin, where this fairy lives. The forest beside the path had completely disappeared. In its place stood a tall and crumbling archway, its surface choked with ivy. A thin walkway lined with stone ravens ran beneath it, just wide enough for a single person to walk across. It stretched hundreds of metres across a vast crater of endless darkness until it reached a rock in the very centre. Standing on the stone island was Lord Renwin's tower. Yanni gazed up and up and up. The tower was the single tallest thing he had ever seen in his life. It split the sky in two like a crack in a mirror. So tall it seemed almost to pierce the moon. Every square inch of its bricks was deepest, most desolate black. Yanni had no idea how he hadn't seen it but he knew that nothing in the fairy realm worked the way it should. He could feel it at once, the magic coming off it, pulsing into the land around it like radiation. And with it came the sound of broken chimes, brighter and clearer than ever before. Yanni's only hope of getting his sister back is to make a wager with Lord Renwin, to try and complete three challenges before for him before the day is out. If he succeeds, he'll win back his sister, but if he fails, she'll become Lord Renwin's child forever. I hope you enjoy it. Amazing. Thanks so much for that brilliant reading and intro, Ross. Now let's head over to Stober Primary School to hear what our pod squad thought about the Chime Seekers. What part of the book did you like the most? I liked the parts in the first half where um, Yarni um, discovers the other world, the world of Fae, and 
it's very mysterious because he has never seen things like that. The sky is blue, no, purple, and everything's a bit topsy-turvy compared to our normal world. My favourite part was probably where Yanni had to face Lord Renwin um, and he didn't feel that brave. My favourite part was when they met the signpost because he's really funny. If you could use one word to describe the book, what would it be? I describe it as funny because um, when they enter the land of Fae, which is my favourite part, and um, they get chased down on the road by the frog and kick, and the frog keeps kicking them in the shins, and I find it funny. In your opinion, which of the challenges faced by Yanni is the most testing, and why? I think it was the last challenge where he had to go to Lord Renwin's safe to find all of the names of the children. But instead of finding the children's names, he found Lord Renwin so he could control him. I think it was the third challenge because he had to go underwater facing a giant uh, skeleton with a powerful crown. I think it was the last challenge because there were all those different teeth to find it, to find from, and and there was the first bit where he stepped into the house as a sort of trick. Yanni definitely faced some major challenges. I think maybe the second challenge was the hardest. Those stone statues were terrifying. We'll hear more from Ross about that later. Now, though, it's time to introduce the second book from our Honor Quest box. The book in question was... Sisters of the Lost Marsh by Lucy Strange. Hello, I'm Lucy Strange. I'm the author of Sisters of the Lost Marsh, which is a dark fairy tale adventure about a girl called Willa and her five sisters growing up in an isolated, superstitious community in the middle of this vast, eerie marshland. And I'm going to read the beginning of the story to you. Chapter One. I am looking into the eyes of an enormous white horse called Flint. They are glossy brown, like puddles after fresh fallen rain, with long black eyelashes. I hate him, this big stupid creature we've been given in exchange for my eldest sister. Silas Kirby brought him over to our farm the morning after the betrothal. That's a good ploughing horse for you, Nate Fernsby, he said. That's a good anything horse. Dada replied, squinting into the cold sunshine and stumbling down the steps. He looked the horse up and down and nodded, impressed. Then he said, check him over for me, Willer. Dada doesn't know the first thing about animals. It isn't even his farm, really, it's Grammy's. Everything we know about farming we've learnt from her. Dada likes to dish out orders and he swans about at market like a gentleman farmer, but he doesn't know one end of a beast from the other. Flint stood still in the frosty muck of our yard while I inspected him, running my hands over his big shoulders and strong back. He danced about a bit, making it tricky for me to check his hooves. He jerked away when I tried to see his teeth. You're a lively fellow, aren't you? I muttered, and Flint tossed his head proudly. At last I was done. I nodded at Dada, and his eyes widened with a sort of baffled glee that someone should barter such a magnificent animal for one of his wretched daughters, like gold for a sack of dung. Walk him up and down a bit, Willa, Dada said, and then he watched as Flint clopped steadily over the cobbles and back again. Will you be wanting to give Grace an inspection too, Mr Kirby? I said, 
looking him right in the eye. Dada glared at me, but Silas laughed, and my little sisters were delighted. Grace! Dolly shouted at once, running to the door with Dee Dee close behind. Mr Kirby needs to check your feet! Darcy, the youngest of the triplets, rolled her eyes at them. Grace met Dolly and Dee Dee on the step. She was coming out to take kitchen scraps to the hens. Here she is! Dada was still half drunk after striking the betrothal the night before, so his smile was like the grin of a hollowed-out turnip. My beautiful Grace, soon to be your beautiful Grace, eh, Silas? Silas Kirby smiled and bowed to Grace. She walked right past him to the henhouse, where the chickens were all aflap for the scraps. We waited for her to come back, and when she did, she didn't go to Silas. She went to the horse instead. So, this is what I am worth. Grace seemed to be thinking, and perhaps Flint was thinking the same thing. He turned his head towards her, and the two of them looked at each other. Oh, poor Grace. Thank you so much to Lucy for that very stirring reading. Now, let's hear from our pod squad as they discuss Sisters of the Lost Marsh. If you were going to sum this book up in three words, what would they be? If I could sum this book up in three words, I would go mysterious, breathtaking and a tiny bit scary. I would go mournful, cliffhanging and thrilling. I would do mysterious, wonderful and a little bit um, scary as well. I would do maybe a little bit frightful. I'd do very exciting, a little bit sad. Well, if I could sum this book up in few words, it would be, for me, they would be mysterious, yeah, a little bit scary, but um, also a bit sad because their parents die. How did reading the book make you feel? It made me feel excited because I didn't know what was going to happen next. It made me feel good because I liked reading the book. Did you enjoy the book and who would you recommend it to? I loved the book actually. It was very enjoyable and like I, it felt very realistic and it was very fun. And I like to recommend it to myself so I could read it again and that's how much I loved it. Uh, if I could recommend, I really enjoyed it, but if I could recommend it to uh, quite a few children around the world, then I would go children over the age of six. Well, if I, I found it amazing, so it's thrilling and exciting, and I found it quite breathtaking, although some parts were sad, and that's why I would recommend it to people over seven and a half-ish because some parts were sad and a bit, um, tiny bit scary so that's what I'll go with. What might happen after the book ended? I think that maybe they live happily ever after for a while but then the Marsh Queen comes back and gets revenge on them for killing her husband. I think that maybe, like Teddy, they will live happily ever after, but then um, the, Mar the Marsh King reforms and tries to um, get back on them by doing a series of tricks to get them to die. I think there might be a Marsh Queen that then has a child who then 
Pat is able to shapeshift and hide in their family and then maybe he might kill them one by one. I think that Willow will have a will have a husband and uh, um they will have have children but then the children will be taken captive by the Marsh Queen and they will ha- and Willow and her husband will have to try and save their children. I think that Fergus and Freya will get married and their parents will be kidnapped and they have to save them. Wow. Some great ideas there for you, Lucy, if you do decide to write a sequel. Now, let's see what questions our pod squad had for our guest authors. Hi, Lucy. Why did you write it from Willa's perspective and not anyone else's? Oh, that is a, it's a tricky question, really, for a writer, because very often, uh, I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I, I find that main characters come to me fully formed. So this could only ever have been Willa's story. It couldn't have been any of the other sisters. It needed to be one of the sisters that had that kind of sort of spark about her that had um, sort of, she was a bit kind of rough around the edges. There are are complications to her character that make her interesting. She's, her, her age was important as well for my target audience. So she needed to be about the right sort of age. She needed to be about 12. And Grace would have, was, was too old. And Freya, although I find Freya funny, she's a, she's a lovely character to write. I don't think she's, she's got the, the depth to her character that Willa has. Hi, Ross. I really loved your book. My question is, why did you call it The Chime Seekers? Well, uh, when I first wrote the book, it wasn't called The Chime Seekers. When I first wrote the book, it was called Changeling, which is the word for the fairy baby that Yanni ends up having to uh, spend shackled to throughout these challenges as part of his wager. I thought that was a title that really sort of made sense with the book. But uh, I was asked by my editors to come up with something different. Coming up with titles is really hard. You'd think it's only a few words, it should be easy, but it's the opposite. The fewer the words, the harder it is. We came up with, and I'm not joking, 266 titles before we picked The Chime Seekers. There's a few different reasons why we picked that title. You probably noticed in that reading that I used the word chimes in there. And that's because in the book, magic has a particular sound. When magic is fixed and powerful and true, it has a sound of beautiful music. But when it's uh, used incorrectly, when it's used for a bad purpose, it has a sound of broken chimes. And I quite like that image. I think it's quite a spooky sound, but it becomes quite important in the story. I don't want to give away too much. Hi Lucy, by the way I really like your book and I have a question for for you. Is the scene of the Sisters of the Lost Marsh a place that reminded you of where you grew up? Well, the marsh, the Lost Marsh in Sisters of the Lost Marsh um, is inspired by a real place. It's a place called the Romney Marsh in the southeast of England, spanning the counties of Kent and Sussex. And it's it's a very beautiful place, a very eerie place. It's a, it's a place that was owned by the sea for millennia until we drove it out with the digging drainage ditches and canals and, and building sea walls and so on. But I think because um, of its history, it's just one of those places that it feels like it's got stories in, in the very earth of it. It's a really sort of mystical feeling place. Where did you get your inspiration for the book from? I think for me, there's a tradition 
uh, in folk tales, there's lots of stories about human children being stolen away by fairies. It was, um, you know, one of the stories that people used to tell each other, and they used to even protect their houses in lots of ways. You'd, um, if you had a newborn baby, you would maybe place something made of iron next to the cot, uh, because fairies don't like iron. It would stop them trying to steal the baby away. They said, in particular, if it was a beautiful child, if it was, uh, you know, a really pretty baby, that fairies would want to steal it away. Like, it would be more likely that they'd want to take them. And so there's lots of folk tales about this, and I've always found those really interesting. You can see it adapted in lots of different ways. Probably the most famous way is in the film Labyrinth, which I loved when I was a kid. That was a huge deal to me. Well, the landscape that I mentioned, the Romney Marsh landscape, but I, I always have several different sort of first ingredients, if you like, that that start off one of my stories. So it's never just one source of inspiration. It's always several. So the other, some of the other ingredients for this particular book that started off, uh, one of them was a poem, a very odd um, poem called Overheard on a Salt Marsh by Harold Munro, um, which is about a, a goblin character um, begging a nymph for her beautiful beads. And it's very, it's a very weird little poem, but because there's no context to it, it's totally, it's not explained. And we just, it's as if we are eavesdropping on this, this conversation between these kind of fairy characters. So this, that was part of the inspiration and particularly inspiration behind the fairy tale. It's a really important part of the story. Uh, the idea of the Marsh King, a sort of a goblin or sprite and an evil creature that sort of lurks in the marsh. Other things as well, though, folklore. So I'm very, very often inspired by British folklore in my stories. There's a curse in this story that's really important, the curse of six daughters, that goes like this. Be sure the first girl marries well, the second in the home to dwell. A third maid will do little harm if set to work upon the farm. Four and five must both be wed, or six will bury you stone dead. And that's the, that's the curse that Willa and her five sisters have grown up with, with their father absolutely believing in this curse. Um, I, I, I created this curse for the story, but there are so many similar weird, dark superstitions that we have in the folklore of this country. And the other, the other bit of folklore that I've, that I've borrowed is the idea of a will-o'-the-wisp. So uh, a sort of a, a false flame, a strange fr flickering light seen above uh, a bog or a marshland. My question is, what part of the book did you enjoy writing the most? Oh, I loved, <laughs> I loved writing all of this book, actually. And that's not always the case. Sometimes some stories are, are, are harder than others. Um, I loved describing the full moon fair and creating the atmosphere of the full moon fair. I really, really enjoyed that. So in the story, there's this mysterious um, travelling fair that comes to their village, to Hollow in the Marsh. And it turns up, it, you can never predict when it's going to come. It might, it might arrive, you know, twice in one year. It, it might, it might disappear and, and not come back for, for a whole decade. But creating the atmosphere of the fair and, uh, and that particular sort of feeling of kind of glamour and excitement and, uh, but also that bit of magic that's there that I really, yeah, I enjoyed that bit. I also really, really enjoyed the moment when I decided that Willa was going to steal the horse. That bit was just, it was a, it was a really lovely, um, liberating moment for me as a writer when I was trying to work out what she was going to do. And I just thought, she's going to, she's going to steal a horse. And I felt like I was, do I felt like I was doing something, um, uh, you know, breaking a law myself in, in the moment that I made that decision. It was very sort of, you know, frightening and exhilarating. Oh, this is normally quite a hard question to answer, but 
with the Chime Seekers, it's actually quite easy for me. So with Yanni's three challenges, I basically got to come up with three different uh, scenes of like really uh, incredible, magical things he could do. And I wanted a mix of different stuff. So uh, in one of the challenges, Yanni ends up having to go inside a goblin fortress, uh, which I got to make quite funny. But the second challenge, and I don't want to give too much away, I decided to make really scary. Um, it involves Yanni having to go inside a ruined, desecrated abbey to find the elixir of life. Uh, I often really like writing scary scenes. I find them really good fun to write. And I loved writing this one. I have been told it's terrifying. I have a, two questions for you. How long did it take for you to finish your first draft of the book? And did you base the characters on people she, you knew? Well... All my books have taken very different amounts of time, actually. I'm getting faster. I'm getting faster. Sisters of the Lost Marsh was written um, throughout various lockdowns of, of the last sort of 18 months or so, I suppose. The first draft of it actually took a longer time than some of my other books. And that's partly because of the, the genre and what happened with the genre of this book. So it was going to be more, more out-and-out fantasy in the first draft version of it. And as I developed it, as I developed the ideas in it, I wanted it to feel much more real than that. So what we've ended up with uh, is a sort of sort of magical realism where we've got a story that feels very convincing. It feels like it's you know, very much based in the real world, but we've got this weirdness and the possibility of these these supernatural forces at work. And for me, I thought was that was how the story needed needed to be in order for it to be a powerful story uh, about Willa and her sisters and her family. Ooh, that's tricky. I think, well, the interesting thing with this book is I wrote it almost entirely in lockdowns uh, and the timing that it was just coincidence. So I started writing it uh, just a couple of days into that first lockdown when we were all told to stay in our homes uh, and not leave unless we absolutely had to. And then uh, the second draft, when I went over it another time, that was the second lockdown. And then the third draft was the third lockdown. Um, so it's really weird. It was almost written entirely, you know, sitting at home, not really being allowed to go outside. So I reckon the first draft would have been about three months, which is about normal for me writing it the first time. I love hearing about writers' processes. Three months sounds really fast to me. Um, excellent lockdown writing, everyone. The other question we had there was about whether you base your characters on any people that you know. Uh, no, I didn't. I think it's cheating. Wouldn't it be cheating if um, if you just did that? If you just you know, cut and pasted people from real life into your books. So no, I don't uh, do that. I've never done that. But I I find that I take little bits and bobs from my own personal experience and my world and the people and places that I know, and I kind of stitch them together in my own way. So it's a sort of a patchwork of, of reality and imagination. I do sometimes however have actors in mind when i'm when i'm developing characters i do sometimes think of who would play that part and that sometimes helps me to give them a voice and to give them sort of physical mannerisms and so on so for example in sisters of the lost marsh grammy in my imagination was played by julie walters who i just think would be brilliant with her kind of twinkliness and her sort of the force of character i always base characters on people i know that's all part of the fun of writing I would say um, with characters, you never base a character totally on one person. 
like you just basically do a carbon photocopy of them. It's always about collecting bits and pieces of uh, people you know and putting them together. I would say my main characters always have a bit of me in them. I think that's what makes it slightly easier to write a main character. I would say the character of Ari, Yari, uh, Yanni's baby sister, is based on um, I'm now at an age where lots of friends and family have started having babies. So I've spent a bit more time around babies and uh, Yanni's baby sister cries quite a lot. So I've seen what that's like. And his cousin, Amy, who's a big uh, fan of sort of fantasy board games and is really interested in witchcraft. Uh, she's based on a few different people that I know, but I'd never say who. Amazing. Thank you to you both for those brilliant answers. We've got one more cheeky question for Ross before he heads off. Tales by Mail fans will know that we've now included two of Ross's brilliant books in our boxes, The Midnight Guardians and The Chime Seekers. So, of course, we have to ask, what are you going to write next, Ross? Well, uh, I've got loads of books I'm writing at the moment. Uh, I'm just about to start writing the second draft of uh, my next sort of book for 8 to 12s, what I would say is probably like a, a follow-up to The Chime Seekers. It's not a sequel, uh, but it's the sort of book that if you like The Chime Seekers or The Midnight Guardians, you'd like this one too. At the moment, it's called The Stone Corners, and it's about a girl who discovers a secret society of magicians who are fighting an ancient battle between good and evil. Uh, but I'm also writing uh, a silly short story based on Romeo and Juliet and a couple of picture books too. Because that's my job. I just love writing. We can't wait to hear more about the Stonecallers. Now, though, we'd like to say a big thank you to Ross and to Lucy for joining us. Thank you so much for your questions. And I hope you do enjoy the Chime Seekers. In the meantime, happy reading. Thank you very, very much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be part of your podcast and and for Sisters of the Lost Marsh to be part of your Tales by Mail, one of your beautiful, brilliant boxes. So thank you and best wishes to all your listeners and all your readers. Before we sign off, we wanted to quickly tell you about a couple of books we're excited for in 2022. We've made a list of exciting upcoming releases, which you'll find linked on our website, but we've each picked one book that we're looking forward to, which we'll tell you about now. One book that I'm super excited for is The Great Fox Illusion by Justin Edwards. It's due out in April and it's about feuding magicians and a young mage who enters a competition to inherit the secrets of a great master of magic. And I'm looking forward to The Secret Sunshine by Benjamin Dean. It's a really emotional story about kindness and courage and a girl who wants to create a pride parade in her small village. That one's due out in March, so keep your eyes peeled for that. We hope you've enjoyed this OnorQuest-themed episode. If you're yet to join Tales by Mail, why not check out our subscriptions on our website? We have memberships available for readers aged 5 to 8 and 8 to 12. The theme of our next box for readers aged 8 to 12 is Peril at the Party and will include two books about characters living the high life, along with activities and surprises. And our next box for our younger readers is our Hatchings March box, which includes a story of a boy seeking magic stones and a girl on a mission to track down a mythical bird. You'll find all of the information about our subscriptions at www.talesbymail.com. Thanks everyone for listening and thanks again to Ross Montgomery, Lucy Strange and the pupils of Stobra Primary for joining us for today's podcast. Thanks everyone. Bye for now. Thank you for listening!